1: I'm Jennifer Wiggum. And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 371 of the Lawyer's Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Zach is talking with Martin Clausen about managing contracts with technology.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, Postali, and Posh Virtual Receptionists. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on.
1: So Jennifer, one of the things we have coming up in our community is the opportunity to do what we call a strategy intensive.
2: Why did we name it that? I was just thinking that like, it's just kind of stuck and I like it, but it's not going away. It sounds very extreme strategy intensive.
1: Maybe we could just call it quarterly planning session.
2: Yeah. Cause it is more like a work retreat. We always encourage people in our lab paid coaching community to have retreats with their leadership team or their whole team, and you know, go off-site to do that, so they can plan for the quarter. And that's what this is. It's really offering them the chance to have a guided uh, retreat by a lawyerist team member. But we have set it on strategy intensive, which sounds like a sports something.
1: Well, you can still change it. Quarterly planning session. <laughs>
2: Quarterly planning session.
1: Which is what everybody needs to be doing, right? So the whole idea is that we think a lot of teams have found a lot of success with quarterly planning although I know people who experiment with six week sprints or eight week sprints or what have you but most people instead of setting out at the beginning of the year and saying here are the 30 things we want to do this year yeah it works much better if you just say here are the four or five or two or whatever the number is priorities for this quarter and so if, if we can be really intentional and very clear about what it is we need to get done this quarter what we find is people have, significantly more success, you know, then they actually end up doing 12 or 15 or 20 things throughout the year because they've planned it by quarter instead of starting the year strong, saying we're going to do 30 and then you do one and a half.
2: And I like that it's iterative that we have these every quarter because then we do a retrospective too when we get to the next one to, to figure out, you know, what worked? Did you set your goals too high? Do you need to adjust your action steps? So we're able to build on it each time which I think is really important because sometimes you can have these meetings or retreats and if you never look back on them then you're just going to make the same mistakes over and over again.
1: Yeah. So this is an opportunity we actually open this up to people who are not yet in our lab community and you can come as a special guest and participate and do your planning for the quarter and see what it's like and see what we're like and it's I think it's a great way to kind of put your toe in the water if you're thinking about yeah. working with us and you're not sure. And it's just really a great way to kind of set for the quarter. We hear our people who do this with us, who engage in this work, really love it. They feel like they come out with such clarity and, and it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's fun.
2: <laughs> but I mean, they also get to be around other people, you know, that are not in their firm, but are in the same position that they are, you know, small firm owners. And I think that's extremely helpful because often you'll hear other ideas from other places that you never thought about or you're able to, you know, bounce things off of them. And I think that's that's pretty cool too. I mean, it's a good time, but you really, we get a lot of stuff done. And it's not just that we make these plans and then send you off. You actually start to get into a little bit of implementation too, which we think is extremely important. You don't just go to a meeting, hear an idea and then go off into the sunset. You actually start working on that idea in that moment.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're listening to this when the show drops, it's the beginning of March, which means that guess what? You're two thirds through the quarter. So, you know, the quarter's ending at the end of the month. And so that's when we're going to do our next strategy intensive. So, now is a great time if you're thinking, where did first quarter go? I had all these ideas when the year started. I thought I was gonna move my business forward this year and I'm sitting here realizing I actually didn't do so much of that implementing. This would be a great time to reset. Like you don't have to wait until next January. You can start now. We're gonna put a link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about what this day looks like and how you can work with us. And we'd be happy to connect and answer any questions. And we'd really love to see you there because it would be a great time for you, like we said, To kind of take stock of what where you are, what you've done, what's going well, what's not, and then what you want to do next to move your business forward. Yeah, come hang out. So now we'll have Zach's conversation with Martin.
3: Hi, I'm Martin Clausen. I'm the uh, CEO of a small uh, legal tech startup called HyperContracts. It's a two-person company at the moment, and we built the HyperContracts platform, which, if I'm to sort of sum it up very briefly, is a Computational contract lifecycle management platform.
4: Martin, thanks for thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming and talking to to our audience about this stuff. And I guess really I'd kind of like to jump in because I, I think some of the phrasing that you used there with computational contracts and then contract lifecycle management are some things I think you guys hyper contracts does that differently than mm-hmm. what the words, you know, what with the those phrases kind of come to mind with. And so I'd like to first start off with kind of smart contracts versus computational contracts and I think that's a good division to make there. What how do we define both of those things and what makes computational contracts different than smart contracts?
3: So one one could argue that smart contracts are a very constrained small subset of a wider term called computational contracts. So smart contracts mm-hmm. are Essentially, not contracts. And I think even the inventor of the term and the technology, blockchain technology, will to say, say that it maybe wasn't the best <laughs> choice of, uh, of right, words. Right. Maybe I think he's said that maybe it should have been called smart scripts or maybe blockchain scripts or mm. something like that, because that is what it is, right? It right. is the ability to execute small programs on the blockchain. That typically manipulate tokens on the blockchain somehow, mm-hmm. and people talk about them as contracts because they have the ability to transfer a value tokens between parties under certain conditions. Certain right. parties can decide to move the tokens and and so on, or they can move uh, in accordance with a pre sort of uh, scripted, preconceived script. Computational contract is a much broader term that sort of defines real contracts, what you would think of as a real contract implemented in code. It doesn't have to run on a uh, a blockchain. Mm -hmm. It's not constrained by the blockchains, the constraints that apply to to most blockchains. Uh, And it's basically just a matter of taking the logic of a contract and implementing it in code. And that can then be used for many, many different things. The fact that you now have a contract represented as computer code.
4: Right, And I think for me, that's what I think of when I think of smart contracts, or that's what I think mm. I want, quote unquote, smart contracts to be, is this thing that is, if this, then this, you know, we've represented all of the clauses in the contract that we wrote. Let's take a lease, for example. We, we represent mm. all the clauses in the lease, and those are just coded. Essentially, mm. and, and built in, and, yeah. and put into some sort of application or something like that. Whereas a smart contract, I kind of think of as as just we call them contracts because it's a handshake event. It's mm. where where something is is passed off, but it it's not contracts in the in the legal sense of the of the term contract.
3: No, some people try to write smart, smart contracts mm-hmm. that emulate fairly closely contract types that you find in 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 the real world. In quotation marks, mm-hmm. like different types of exchange of value and, and, and so on. But they have the number of properties that might or not might or might not be interesting to you or what you want. For instance, uh, smart contracts, they execute as specified, no matter what, right? Right. That's one of the properties that you want. you want them to be immutable and you want them to, to just execute no matter what. So you, you don't have to rely on a court to enforce them or anything, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now, in certain scenarios, that might be exactly what you want. But for certain scenarios, that might not be a really desirable property. right? Might, you might want to have the benefits of having a computational contract. But if something goes haywire and events unfold uh, in an unpredicted manner, or uh, maybe there's a bug in your contract, It Mm -hmm. it is reversible somehow. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is not reversible if the tokens have moved on the blockchain to somebody else, then they have to decide to give them back to you, right? At the goodness of their heart. But if this is an unknown person and so on, maybe that's really not what you want. Right. If your contract party is known to you and you just want some other benefits of having your contract uh, implemented in code. Maybe a smart contract is not the way to go. There are, certain, there are multiple other weaknesses around mm-hmm. smart contracts that I could talk about, but maybe it's more interesting to talk about the benefits of computational contracts
4: more yeah. generally, right? Yeah, I think so. Because you know, we, we talk about in a smart contract, obviously you have gas or or there's some sort of expense to each transaction. And the benefit of a smart contract is that it is immutable, and so we we don't really need to to worry about that. There are there is a place for that, mm-hmm. but when I think about this broad world of let's kind of automate contracts, yeah, and I have my my hands up in in air quotes, <laughs> let's kind of automate contracts or make contracts have a computer help us do kind of the mundane in that. I think we're really talking about computational documents, computational contracts. And so yeah. what are What are your thoughts on kind of the benefits of that and where we can go with those? Because it, it is a, a broad horizon. It is very broad. And there
3: are many directions you can take it. In, and it has been, at least in theory, taken in in many different directions. One benefit is that you can get a tremendous amount of support for your contract management process the lifecycle maintenance and management of the contract if your contract is represented in software. So Mm -hmm. let me just give you a few examples. If you have your contract as a program and you have access to in a structured manner uh, as digital information, the events that are going to affect the state of the contract, and Mm -hmm. I'll come back to some examples of that, you can, of course, pipe your event stream, sort of all these things that happen that the contract, uh, knows about into the program and have it compute the state of the contract. So what is the state of the contract? That could be, for instance, has an obligation been complied with or has it not been complied?
5: With? Mm-hmm.
3: Or you can reverse it and say, what needs to happen the next two weeks for the contract not to be breached by one of the parties, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are questions that you could ask of your program. You could also, you could also ask your contract, if you will, uh, which kind of events are you sensitive to? If you are some type of financial contract, for instance, mm-hmm. what, what is the value of your? Con- if you as a contract is that affected by the fact that the interest rate goes up or down, for instance? So that's another
4: question you can ask if you have your computational contract. So I, I'd like to kind of tease out two thoughts in that. One is contract lifecycle management. And this type of contract lifecycle management is different than what we think of when we think of a CLM piece of software, mm-hmm. which is the creation, the building of the contract, the keeping of the clauses, the knowing where where things go. We, we're not talking about the management of the creation of that contract necessarily. We're talking about the management of the yeah. actual life of that contract from, you know, it's signed, What are the obligations that need to be done? What makes a breach? And we're thinking about tracking those things.
3: Yeah. So those are just examples about the obligation. It could be discretions too, of course, right? Right. The rights to do something, but not the duty. It could be the policies of the contract. So the mechanics of the contract that decides when it might be terminated, for instance, and so on. So Mm -hmm. you could look at a policy the mechanism says either it needs then six months needs to pass or the buyer uh, might not have met its minimum quota then it might be terminable or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. All those things you can because they are mechanical now and you know which events that they depend on. You can ask them all these kinds of interesting questions that are interesting to you if you need to manage the contract. Right? right. Am I in breach? Uh, am I? What rights do I have at this this point in time? all these kinds of things, uh, are certain mechanisms in the contract, uh, have they been triggered or have they not been triggered? They might yeah. not even have have managed to have any effects on discretions and obligations yet, but they might be sort of building up, if you will, if there's like a, a mechanism that's about to trigger an obligation or a discretion. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine sort of the cup filling up with things that needs to happen before something happens. You might want to monitor that beaker to say, what is, the, what is the level that we're at right now, right? Even if something hasn't happened.
4: Right, right.
3: These are manual jobs today that, that you, as a contract manager, you need to keep all these events that have happened or potentially will happen inside your brain. Uh, and, right. and you need to understand all the rules that apply in the contract and sort of run this computation on the fly yourself to figure these mm-hmm. things out, to manage, to react in a timely manner. And we just feel that that's just a waste of brain power and time, because if you have the contract as a program, it can actually do it for, for you and add, and tell you what you need to know and not the other way around.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, Martin, let, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back and kind of talk about a little bit more of what this contract can do for us, what, what it can take over from us. The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And from Lawpay, the gold standard in payments for the legal industry. For more than fifteen years, our partners at LawPay have been helping lawyers get paid faster. In fact, 62% of bills sent by a lawpay are paid the same day. To learn how you can enjoy faster and more reliable payments, schedule your demo at lawpay.com forward slash lawyerist. And from Postali. Finding a marketing partner for your firm can be challenging. Are you getting sound advice? Is your marketing agency always working in your best interest? You shouldn't have to worry about these things. At Postali, they believe marketing companies should adopt the same duty to their clients that is required of the legal profession. For this reason, they require that all team members sign a fiduciary oath to act in good faith and put clients' best interests ahead of their own. They service with care, candor, and loyalty. Postali is a full service digital marketing agency exclusively for lawyers. To learn more about how they're different, Visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. Well, we're back. Ma- Martin, um, one of the things you were talking about before the break was, you know, having the ability for this contract to give us information instead of us having to keep it all in our our head. Because I I've had many, many, many days of having a spreadsheet open and the contract open, and then all the events that have happened in the life of this contract and trying well, to note, was there a breach? And I think one of the important things here is that, A, a computational contract will not only keep track of that, but I, I think the thing that we've been hinting at is the idea of being able to go into the future mm. with this contract. The idea of being able to say, okay, well, what if these events happen? What events would it take in order to create a breach according to the constraints of this contract? And I think that's fascinating yes. here as well, because we're not just talking about... Okay, let's just see what happens. We're talking about let's let's test this thing. Let's do some some hmm. quality control on this. Let's put it out there.
3: Yeah. So so the hyper contracts platform that we built, it it not only sort of actively tells you, well, there's this obligation you need to fulfill within two weeks, or does this discretion that's going to expire in three days, uh, whereby you are entitled to maybe some uh, service credit, some liquidated damages, mm-hmm. you need to make that claim within three days. Do you want to do that? So it, it not only does that, it also has the ability to do speculative stuff, right? So what mm-hmm. if these three, four things were to happen in the next three months? What would that mean? Right. Or if these things do not happen, what would it mean? Mm-hmm. So we can feed events that haven't occurred yet into the contract and say, what what is the result of that? Or we can sort of just roll the clock forward. Nothing happens. When is it that something, when does the contract change state uh, into Mm -hmm. being breached or whatever? So that's certainly a possibility. Another interesting possibility is to say, well, we are renegotiating this contract. Right. So now we are trying to, we 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 are changing the logic of the contract because Maybe we're not happy with the way liquidated damages have been calculated or Mm whatever. Let's tune these things and let's pretend that this contract existed for the last year, pipe all the events that did occur through the contract and enter into this alternate reality where, okay, now these liquidated damages have materialized instead of the other ones that actually materialized. So it's a very good way of sort of, pressure testing your your changes in saying, if this thing had existed, what if it would be the result? You could, of course, also come up with a speculative scenario right. for the next year saying, we think this next year is going to be like last year, except we're going to spend maybe 20% more with the vendor, mm-hmm. and they're going to improve their performance within this area by 10%. So right. we, we manipulate the the old events like that, we feed it into the contract and we see what's then going to happen. Well, it turns out that in November, we are going to be entitled to terminate the contract because at that point, they have will have reached the service mm-hmm. levels enough that that's an entitlement that we have.
4: Right. Well, and and this is talking about making better contracts between two parties because we can look at that and we can say, what? yes, this is how it happened this year. And we're both satisfied with that. But Mm -hmm. we could actually both benefit from this happening this next year. And then we can, you can kind of kick the tires and say, what what would we both anticipate this? What would that look like? And then are we happy with this? One of the things specifically about a smart contract or, or a something that is immutable is we have one shot at doing it. And a lot of times, even when we get away from smart contracts, we get away from, we go to just written contracts. Yeah, it is going to take a long time for us to sit there and say, well, what are all the different manifestations of what could happen, and what mm. what would you know what would the effects of this be? If you've written it into code, you can go through and really pressure tests based on on all the things you want and say, is this actually what we want this contract to say? Is this is this representative of mm. our relationship with the vendor?
3: Yeah, and that's actually how we test the contracts with potential. Customers, right? Mm-hmm. It's saying that uh, well, we we of course need to satisfy ourselves that we have implemented what is in your contract correctly in code, right? Because that's part of how we do things. Right. We 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 tell you which parts of your contract do you want to uh, implement in code, which ones are valuable, which ones are the ones that you so want you want to get a better handle on from a management perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we pick those together with the client, and we implement them. And then we draw up a set of test cases saying that if these things happen at this point in time, how what would your expectation, dear client, around what the state of the contract be, right? right. And of course, you can, if, uh, you can share that with the other party to the contract and say, are we agreed that if you fail to deliver like three months in a row like this with these dates and so on, this is the consequence that we both expect? right but it's a way of testing the contract and making sure that it reflects the intention of the parties upfront that lawyers are not used to having at their disposal at all right right and it's something developers are completely used to when they test their software and if yes. you ask them they simply cannot understand how lawyers can sleep at night without having a facility like that right for right. good reason. Right. No sane developer would ever deploy sort of mission critical software with the ability to shift fortunes between parties without having test cases and, right. and rigorous test cases at like that. But lawyers are apparently happy with deploying contract vehicles out into
4: the world without having any ability to test them. Well, and I, I think we kind of hit hit on something there that I think of when I think of kind of antiquated contracts and antiquated clauses in those contracts. Many times when you say, why is this here? Why is this clause here? It's because it has been used so many times and Mm. that's our way of testing it. We say, ah, well, it has, it hasn't broken yet. It has stood the test of time and it's been good for me in court so far.
3: Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, so that my, 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 my dear, dear friend, Ken Adams, uh, who's written the book on contract drafting mm-hmm. would say if your wording ended up in court, maybe it's not the best wording in the first place. <laughs> and maybe it's not exactly the stuff that you want to learn from. Right. Right. And and he's absolutely right. It's not, it's not a way of building up sound contract wording and, and so on is is to look at what the courts had said about this stuff. Because it if it ended up in court, it was per definition
4: broken. Right. Right, and you have done your client a disservice. I, I've told many clients that if we go to court, I've I've lost. Like we we've lost because you now have to spend money in court. Exactly, we've utterly failed.
3: Right. You, right. You, it's it's the last resort. It's the stuff. that's what you absolutely do not want. And I can't recommend uh, Ken's work enough. By the way, when we are speaking of contracts. Oh yeah, the Manual of Style for Contract Drafting uh, is is the the, the book on contract drafting. And actually, the way our language, because there's a language underneath here that we built to build this computational contracts, is actually heavily inspired by the way Ken sort of structures the different parts of contracts and the types of contract language that he talks about in this book. Right. So we, we more or less directly adopted his way of breaking down contract language.
4: I think you could certainly do worse than, than adopting, you know, Ken Adams, uh, way of doing that. And, and just so just in case people live under a rock somewhere and, and, and haven't, haven't heard of, of Ken Adams, you can find him on Twitter to see all that he, all that he does, but he's got multiple, I believe, books on manuals of style for contract drafting. And, and he is, he is very, very well-respected and very, and in his own right, very thoughtful. About these these sorts of things, so
3: but not not uncontroversial. Uh, he doesn't shy, shy away from an argument. But right. the, In my book, he has the most well-researched, well researched, most well grounded opinions on on matters of drafting that uh, of anybody that I know, mm-hmm. and I think uh, his his opinion on contract drafting are, are quoted increasingly by the courts uh, also. So. Yeah.
4: Well, so let's step away from the the drafting of the contract mm-hmm. and and kind of the the kicking the tires and get into something a little bit more technical of when when we're dealing with computational documents or computational contracts, the necessity is getting information into the system in a digital mm-hmm. way. You yeah. know, because if we're not getting it in from an actual system that can kind of put it in there, then we have to put it in ourselves. And yeah. Although that is still faster once you get into the, comp- uh, the computation portion, we still want to be tracking something that is almost digitized, you know, not analog.
3: Exactly. So there's there's two pieces to it, right? There's the contract we need that in a digital form as mm-hmm. a computer program. So we need to build that. We have the facilities to do that in the platform, a language made specifically for that purpose, which means that we can very rapidly and, and securely uh, build these, this contractual logic up. Mm-hmm. And the second part is, of course, these events, this information that the contract program needs to know to figure out where am I at with this thing. Right. And we can source that from many different systems, and it all depends on which contract we're talking about. right? So, for instance, uh, an example that we use a lot are IT operations contracts, you mm-hmm. know, so, so service contracts for the, for the operation of an IT system. And in that case, uh, we would source the events from uh, IT service management systems Mm -hmm. and monitoring systems and all of that, because that contains the data that is relevant to figure out what is going on in this contract. But we could also look Mm -hmm. into ERP systems that would have orders and payments and so on. Mm -hmm. All these things are, of course, things in a contract that you you need to uh, know, payments, flows of money. That kind of thing, uh, the seats on. And we could look into logistics systems to see has this order physically been fulfilled. These types of things, and for the, for other contracts, it could be something completely different. But that's just an example, right? Of where we source it, and the way we do it is that we either talk to APIs, so application programming interfaces, mm-hmm. of these systems, and say, please give me all the the response time measurements for this systems for the la- for this system for the last month. Mm-hmm. And I'll figure out what that means contractually. Or we just upload an Excel sheet with all the data into the system and get it in the- that way.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: so we 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 are we are aware that not everybody will have access to APIs or be able to make a vendor or whatever deliver or put at their disposal an API. So we, of course, support the most well-known uh, and, and prevalent uh, integration technology known to man, which is Excel.
4: Right. Uploading a CSV.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody can ask uh, somebody to fill in a, a spreadsheet somehow, right. right? Right. So we make it as easy as that. And as long as you have the relevant data events in an Excel sheet, we'll ingest that and and we'll, we'll be up and running.
4: Well, and I imagine that you can have some events coming in through through an API, and so you don't have to worry about it. And then other events, let, let's say something that somebody actually had to do, you know, yes. yeah, that comes in through an Excel spreadsheet or through probably some sort of checkbox or ticker or something inside the, the platform. But we're talking you about- You could make it manually. We, we, we try to avoid that as
3: much as possible, of right. course, because that's where things can go wrong and it's a chore and everything. But mm-hmm. yes, it is, of course, also possible to enter- events into the system manually. In many cases, we would actually prefer that you just fill out the Excel sheet manually and then we test that, but you right. know. Right. But we can, what we're
4: talking about is getting rid of 80%, you yes. know, or, or a substantial portion of, of what you can do. And the more important thing in my mind is, and I, you and I talked uh, a couple months ago and I've been kind of mulling mm-hmm. this over since <laughs> then, because I, I thought, okay, well, most real world contracts for small to medium sized law firms aren't going to have a lot of APIs that they can, you know, pump the information into through, um, or they're going to have actual actions that a human has to take or something like that. But then I started thinking about a being able to use something like plaid that is a bank connector to mm-hmm. be able to see whether or not something was paid. Well, that's a pretty simple way yes. of doing that. Well, now we've got that in, and then we can quote unquote manually put other information in through a CSV. But the important part is the computational element. Yes. Is the part where where I don't have to go through and say, is this contract still valid? Has there yeah. been a breach? I don't have to worry about that. No. And I can, I as the lawyer, can kind of pass that off to my client. Yeah. I can say you you keep track of these things and put it into that system. And I mean, let's just say this system could send me, as the lawyer, a message that says, hey, it looks like this thing's going to have a breach. You may want to contact the client, you know? Exactly. The real benefit is that computational aspect of it. And we'll get the the digitized information. We're, we're more and more information is being tracked digitally, you know, as, as we go. And it, it's just going to keep getting, we're going to keep having a bigger and bigger bucket of information that is automatically put into those sorts of contracts.
3: For sure. The difference is also that because we can ask the contract so what kind of events do you understand contract well i understand the fact that something can be delivered i understand what a payment is i understand some kind of quality measurement on the deliverable or whatever mm-hmm. right i can actively now ask the user to provide me with that information right you i don't have to guess as a contract manager or maybe not even a contract manager if the company isn't large enough to have that kind of a role, but but a finance person and so on. I can actively sort of poke that person and say, "Did something? Did any of these events concerning this contract happen this month?" Mm-hmm. And if they did, please put in when it happened and uh, some other piece of information around it. Right. Right. So I can sort of actively go out and source that information because I know what the contract understands. And then I can push back and say, well, in that case, now the vendor is late for three months in a row, and you may, act, if you're sufficiently tired of this vendor, you can actually terminate the contract with a shortened termination notice because mm-hmm. that's so this obscure clause somewhere inside the contract that your lawyer has put in place right. has now been triggered. Right? It would never ever occur to somebody, and 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 the thing is that you actually paid the lawyer to mm-hmm. implement it because it's good practice. Mm -hmm. And you also potentially paid at the negotiation table for the privilege of being able to do so. Right. So that costs you some kind of negotiation capital Mm -hmm. that you will will now not have gotten a return on if you fail to use that right, or at least if you fail to know that that right exists. Because one thing is knowing that it exists, you're not forced to do it, of course, just because the contract is computational. But now you are aware, and maybe you can use that when you renegotiate or whatever, or mm-hmm. you can get some other benefit from it. Right. But at least now you know what the contract uh, entitles you to.
4: Right. Well, it, and I think with that, it makes me think a that you as a lawyer become a little bit more sticky. It's a little bit more just from a, a cynical standpoint as a as a lawyer trying to to make a living. I want my clients to. A want to stay with me, so I want to provide them with with the best um, service I can. But B, if this is something that's a little bit difficult for them to kind of get out of, you know, they say, "Well, I, this platform is so good." You know? Exactly.
3: Well,
4: there's nothing
3: wrong. It's sticky, isn't a dirty word if it's right. based on the fact that you're providing a superior right. service, right? That you become dependent on as, as a as a client, that's perfectly legitimate. I think mm-hmm. there's other kinds of stickiness that are maybe less uh, sort of uh, savory. But, yeah. but but this this kind of stickiness is I I have no issue with. Uh, right. Uh, and 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 it's true if you provide your contracts for your clients in a in a setup uh, like this in a hyper contracts uh, setup, uh, and you tell the client, well, you just need to feed this information in, or here's the way you. What you need to ask the vendor to provide uh, to the system, then uh, you also get the added benefits of of uh, this automatic contract management that Hyper Contracts provides or mm-hmm. a similar platform would would provide. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's certainly a way of differentiating yourself as a lawyer. It's certainly right. a way of of doing a completely different kind of highly valuable work product for your client. I mean. Right. Compare this to okay, here's this PDF, right? You can copy it, and you can you can do some changes to it, or maybe if I'm kind, I'm going to give you a Word document mm-hmm. that you can then change every time you enter into a contract, and then uh, then that's a place. Compare and contrast that with a platform that actually gives you a fighting chance of actively managing and understanding your contracts on a continuous basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a different class of work product that you're talking about right there.
4: Right. And this makes me think of this is nothing against LegalZoom. I think they, they provide uh, you know, a, a thing that people obviously want. But mm-hmm. a lot of times lawyers will say, I provide a better service than going to LegalZoom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, A, do you advertise that you provide a better service than going to mm-hmm. LegalZoom? And B, how do people know that? And yeah. so, so this would be one of those things where you say, this is the type of stuff that I'm doing. And automated online contracts likely at least at this point couldn't stand up to that couldn't couldn't compete with that and so that's how you compete in that area is you don't compete in that area. You go and do the thing that you're better at even, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things yeah. I, I like about this is kind of making that platform for your clients. Exactly. And we, I think there's two
3: there's a lot of interesting legal tech out there, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I we really admire a lot of the access to this. But Actually, there isn't that many types of legal tech that, that sort of drastically improves the work product, right? <laughs> right. It, it, it's, it's a, it might save some time when you do your due diligence. Mm-hmm. It might, uh, you can do sort of court case outcome prediction and so on. But if you look at the core work product,
5: mm-hmm.
3: how do you elevate that and how much legal tech actually manages to take the work product to a different level? Right. And I think this does. It's different in, in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's also a huge leap uh, to many people, right? In a world where people think they're successful with contract management, if they are able to find this, the correct signed PDF, right? Right. Then this is this this sounds like something that's very sophisticated. That's like 10 steps ahead, right? But the thing is, it might be that. And it, I actually think it is. It, it is 10 steps ahead, but mm-hmm. it's not. Ten steps to get there. Hmm. Usually, the analogy that I, I I use is that when 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 uh, when they had to sort of roll out telephony at scale in China, especially the rural areas of China, mm-hmm. you know, of course they could have chosen just to 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 do landlines as everybody had done right. in the past to every sort of small village in in rural China, but when they came to that stage in, in sort of in, in the technical evolution, actually 4G mobile telephony was available, right? Mm-hmm. So why why would you want to dig down landlines and take the, all the evolutionary steps that everybody else did if you can jump like five steps ahead and, and it's going to be cheaper and it's going to be less risky to implement that technology leap? Yeah. I think it's, it's perfectly feasible. The system... The technology for it exists today, and and, and it, it's sort of, it's very easy to get started. As we said, you, know, we, you need to implement the parts of the contract that you want, and as a computational contract, and you need the event data. Mm-hmm. And that is literally as easy as filling in an Excel, Excel spreadsheet, mm-hmm. but uh, you can do part of it manually if you want, you want to avoid that, or you can automatically populate the sheet with the, the right event data from your, your peer systems or whatever, and you're good to go.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a that's a good place to to kind of end the the idea that people may not be there right now. Well, the state of the art may not be there right now, but it's where people want to be. Like you're saying, it's the go ahead and skip over the the old way of of doing things and and go ahead and get in there. People can deal with it. Yeah. People want this type in my opinion people want this type of thing and yes it does feel like it's steps ahead of where we're at right now but why start behind
3: exactly yeah yeah why why implement like last seasons or two the season mm-hmm. the approaches from two seasons ago when you can at the same risk and price point and whatever mm-hmm. implement sort of uh, something that's many steps ahead uh, mm-hmm. right so uh, it is an important uh, question to ask yourself. I understand the concerns. Sure. I understand the, the thinking around the, the this, these things. Well, I can't even find my contracts yet. How the hell am I <laughs> going to be able to think about computational contracts and so on? But it's it's actually uh, much easier than it may sound. And it, it is it does exist. The technology does exist as opposed to maybe, uh, you know, Artificial general intelligence and what right. what people all talk about, right? This this thing is is very real, mm-hmm. and if you're
4: curious about it, you're, we are of course happy to show it to you. Absolutely, I think it's hypercontracts.com, right? It is indeed. Yeah, so. Again, Martin, thank you for talking with me um, on this. I think this is really, really interesting, certainly to me. And if it's interesting to to our listeners, we'd love to hear from you on you know our LinkedIn page or on at Lawyerist on Twitter. And I, I know you can find Martin uh, Clausen on LinkedIn as well. Um, and so he'd be happy yeah. to, to join in the conversation also. Um, so of course. Martin, thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.